Hello, Pod. I am Chris Hewitt, and welcome back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hooray. Oh, my word. How we have missed you, MCU, that is, because this is the first in our series of weekly spoiler specials dedicated to the Disney Plus show that has, because of the dread COVID-19, become the first piece of original MCU content since Spider-Man Far From Home back in July 2019. I'm talking, of course, about the small screen debut of Wanda Maximoff and her husband, Vision Maximoff, in WandaVision. And joining me, as with our spoiler specials for The Mandalorian, our three toast mates of such lethal cunning, Helen O'Hara. Hello. James Dyer. Hello there. And Baby Yoda himself, Ben Travis. Hello. Hello, all. How are we all? Oh, all the better for seeing this, quite frankly. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a dark month. Everyone is poor and, you know, probably still kind of trying to get back to normal eating after Christmas. And, hmm. you know, now comes a little ray of black and white sunshine into our lives. Oh, black and white sunshine. Uh, in a second, I'm going to recap the first two episodes because the first two episodes of WandaVision are available now on Disney+. Plus. They plunge Wanda and Vision into a 1950s sitcom a la I Love Lucy and the Dick Van Dyke Show and then a 1960s sitcom a la Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie. But first... Folks, the Marvel Studios fanfare by Michael Cicchino <laughs> is <sighs> back, and you know what that means. As that was, I must say, when I heard that at the beginning of the show, I did an internal squee and may have jumped yep. up and down a little bit on the sofa. Yes. Yeah, me too. 100%. But as your lawyer, I, I do think that Michael Giacchino could sue for misrepresentation, Why would he want to? Why would he want abuse, to? Uh, defamation, slander. No. Improvement. And- oh, wow. You don't get sued for improvement. Yes. It's the Johnny Briggs version of the MCU fan. <laughs> the real instrument, mouth trumpet, never used in the orchestra oh. for some reason. Oh my God. I love a great theme tune. And that, of course, is one of the things that absolutely sets this show apart from all the previous Marvel-related TV shows. They have never had the Marvel Studios logo on them. They've never had the Marvel Studios fanfare, whether it was the Chikino one or the Brian Tyler one or the Henry Jackman one or, or any of the other previous ones <laughs> that they went through. Uh, so this is proper Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige approved, Kevin Feige involved, marveling, and it is something to marvel at. So first, before we do that, a recap. In episode one, written by Jack Schaefer and directed by Matt Shackman, Wanda and Vision have moved into a beautiful home in Westview and are trying their best to blend in. A dinner date with Vision's boss, Mr. Hart, and his wife, Mrs. Hart, threatens to go disastrously wrong when neither Wanda or Vision can remember specific details of their past 
And Mr. Hart threatens to joke on his steak, Diane. Luckily, all is remedied and Wanda creates wedding bands for she and Vision to commemorate a union neither of them can quite remember happening. In episode two, written by Gretchen Enders and directed by Matt Shackman, Vision's attempts to prepare for the neighbourhood magic show go awry when he swallows a piece of gum and becomes effectively drunk Vision, forcing Wanda to cover up for his displays of power. Meanwhile... Wanda tries further to fit in with the neighbourhood Queen Bee, Dottie, whilst they meet a new neighbour, Geraldine. Oh, and they see a man covered in bees climbing out of a manhole, which seems to prompt Wanda to reset reality. And that's where we are so far. We've seen, well, most of us have seen the third episode as well, so we're going to try our best not to Hmm. spoil that one. We're going to focus on episodes one and two. Folks, there are so many questions, so many questions, so few answers. Where do you begin with this? What the hell's going on? That's what I want to know. (laughs) Well, I mean, do we want to start, what, what did we think of the show? I'm really having fun. I really am. I like that I have vague suspicions of things that are probably going to happen um, based not just on having seen episode three, but also Mm. having read, you know, House of M, for example, in the comics and the vision-focused series uh, a few years ago. So I have suspicions of things that might be sort of Mm. factors here. I recognise some logos and that, again, gives me some, you know, clues about what's going on. But I don't really know specifically what's happening (laughs) and how we're going to get from sort of there to here. And um, I'm enjoying that. It feels very different to your usual superhero beat-em-ups. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is just, it's lovely to be back in the Marvel sphere. Like you guys, I my heart swelled when the fan ca- fanfare kicked in at the beginning. But at the same time, it's such a different flavour of, of MCU. And in terms of it being the first MCU show, I think it's, there's part of me that wondered if it would be a bit weird sort of experiencing a mainline MCU story on the small screen. But the fact that it is such an intentionally small screen story that it's about TV itself, it feels really weirdly fitting. I'm loving just the weird mix of stuff that I mean, if you ask me what comes next after Endgame and Far From Home, I don't think I ever would have come up with this, but it's a genius combination of things that there is. And I love that there's a thematic reason for all these things to be happening. Like mm-hmm. it's it, the, the, the sitcom stuff is so playful. It's playful with the form of sitcoms, but also what this means for Wonder and Vision in a way that it doesn't just feel like, well, here's a random wacky idea. Like it feels very, very smartly put together. And even though we don't really know what's going on yet, you can feel the purpose and for lack of pun intended, um, there there is a vision behind it of what this show is oh. and how it operates. Um, so I'm absolutely loving that so far. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it, I guess... I was about to say, is it what I expected? I don't even know what I expected. I think this is this is a really difficult one, and I apologise to anyone who's already heard me review this on the Pilot TV podcast. But uh, why would I, anyone have heard you do that? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I apologise to the three people who heard me review this on the Pilot TV podcast. But um, I think this is one of these shows where I suspect at the end of this series, I will look back on this and say this is a fantastic, amazing amazing series and i love it i am not there yet and the reason i'm not there yet is because the series hasn't properly begun yet we've i've seen three episodes but this is i suspect i don't know for a fact i suspect this is a thriller wearing a sitcom's clothing and Mm. at the moment it is still fully dressed and i need to see it naked and ultimately until i've seen it naked i cannot properly you're as horny as (laughs) vision 
But genuinely, like at this stage, I don't feel we've seen WandaVision yet because it's still obscured by the trappings of this sitcom. The first episode, which again, we're going to get into... Trappings might be an interesting word there, Jimbo. Indeed. It's basically a sitcom and while the sort of the the illusion wavers you're starting to see the show behind the show but at this point it is still obfuscated so i'm i'm having to with, withhold judgment and as someone who doesn't really enjoy sitcoms and especially you know older period sitcoms the actual meat of the show i'm still a little unsure of as it moves through the decades and we see you know more contemporary comedy sort of sitcom scenarios i'll probably get more into it but at the moment i'm i'm waiting i'm poised i'm curious but i'm waiting yeah, we, d- we discussed this a little bit in our non-spoiler review on the regular Empire podcast as well, Jimbo. You actually mm. used the word that you think that when you look back on this, you will expect to see a masterpiece. I see you've downgraded that. <laughs> no, no, I, I stand by that. Like, I think this quite possibly could be a masterpiece. I think it is so audacious and so bold. Like, it has fucking brass balls as big as church bells. It really does. It's unbelievable mm. the way they've taken this this concept and they've leaned into it so hard and just not given a flying fuck what people think and i respect that so much i can't even tell you and i think the whole vision if you will you know will become apparent to us as this series goes on Uh, and i do think it could well be a master i mean it might shit the bed completely but i seriously doubt that and i think it will be a masterpiece and you know episode five vision shits the bed (laughs) wanda tries to clean it up and when when vision prolapses wanda tries to hide it from he's a robot she no. splits the bed back in two. She's like, no, that's enough. <laughs> he shits the bed, she splits the bed. Oh, that's God. what happens. No, no, I refuse. No, look, I, I I, do share some of James's wariness just because we have seen high concept shows go spectacularly off the rails as they mm-hmm. kind of move forward. I mean, I'm still scarred by Dracula last year and I don't think oh, I'm God. ever going to get over that. It left you feeling hollow. Hollow, hollow, <laughs> and of course, there's you know there's the, the the Twin Peaks example as well. Listen, I love Twin Peaks, but you know it maybe for some people season two didn't quite deliver on the promise of season one, and there are numerous other shows. Lost, for example, is another show that maybe more recently. Mm. Okay, so there are these examples of of shows that just fail to live up their, to their potential, but we have to hope that there is a kind of a guiding light here and a guiding hand because that's been the case for the Mm -hmm. most part with the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far. So fingers crossed that there is a building to something here. Um, And if it is as good as these episodes and if it is as audacious as these episodes, then I'm super, super excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, above anything else, it is a love letter to the sitcom format. And from a purely, you know, historical point i you know i and i love the attention to detail in that and that will go on as they move through the the various eras which is kind of mm-hmm. cool obviously for someone like myself who finds humor alien and weird uh it has less appeal but of course i, th- I think the thing that's already interesting though is that for me these sitcom heavy episodes it's it's not just like let's do a couple of episodes as a sitcom i think it says something really interesting about these characters and about what those sitcoms were which is about this sort of very specific view of what life should be like that first episode is wonder and vision having to pretend to be a normal couple to live up to this sitcom Mm -hmm. ideal of Mm -hmm. what this regular nuclear family should be that we know that especially they are not but also like people in real life aren't it feels like there's something really playful going on in the disparity between what sitcoms show to us as sort of normal aspirational life that people can't live up to through these characters who aren't a normal couple because one of them's a witch and one of them's a robot 
and with this extra layer of they aren't a real couple because he is dead and <laughs> she is playing with the fabric of reality. So there are so many layers already. As much as these episodes are very sitcom heavy, there's more to it than that. I, I'm really yeah. pleased with how much already they are playing with these moments when the reality breaks. Like even in the first episode, um, mm -hmm. there's this switch from the, the moment, the choking moment when, mm. uh, yeah, mm -hmm. Mr. Hart is choking on the beef and Mrs. Hart keeps, I can't remember what phrase is she repeating over and over again. She starts repeating. Oh, she this. just says stop it. Essentially, she, she says stop it in the husband's stop it. name. Because like he's the, joking. The, the form of the show breaks. Uh, up until that point, yeah. it's all been these very sitcom-y, like, wide shots of their whole house. And then suddenly it's right up in people's faces and mm -hmm. people are looking directly into the camera. And I love the fact that the show keeps breaking itself and like yeah. drawing attention to itself, but in a way that's not annoying, that is saying something about this form of storytelling. And and also, actually, just before that, when when they're being sort of harassed with these questions about their past, there's a moment where it seems in the wider shot that Wanda's almost looking directly at the camera. Yeah. Um, and that, again, is a kind of awareness that mm. something is artificial here, that something is false. So when she tells Vision to, you know, go and help Mr. Hart, there's almost a an acknowledgement that Vision has these powers that they would usually keep mm. quiet but that it's worth using them on this one occasion and somehow getting past that. So there's a weird there's a weird moment there where it turns out that she's the one in charge of everyone's destiny, mm. which she's been kind of avoiding up until that point. I love the fact that you see because of the sort of heightened mannered version of that 50s sitcom format, the juxtaposition between 50s sitcom Wanda and actual Wanda Maximoff is massive. So when we see mm. real Wanda Maximoff in just that moment when she's mm -hmm. like, Vision, help him. And it's just serious. It's really chilling, like proper like hair on the back of your neck standing on him. Like it's yeah. it suddenly goes from super comforting, warm hug of a show to something quite sinister. And I thought that was really effectively done. And it's something mm. they repeat into different ways in, in the other episodes. But it, it, in this particular one, because you've got it all episode for it, I thought that really landed well. Yeah. I thought it was better in episode two, actually. I really like the uh, the moment where they go outside and they see yeah. that creepy dude with the bees buzzing around him climbing out of the manhole. Mm -hmm. And Wanda, especially at that moment, no. takes charge and, there are, yeah. and rewinds stuff. It does seem very, very interesting. And there's so much to talk about here. I think we're kind of stumbling into, let's talk about the big picture stuff first before we can, we can home in on the details. Yeah. What do you think is happening here? That's the. Do we all are we all on the same page, relatively speaking? Well, ish maybe. I'm taking Helen's tack on this. I I went into this show before it started, thinking House of M, thinking that she is she has constructed an artificial reality, a happy place where Vision is still alive, and it's a sitcom because what is more of a happy place than that? Because she cannot deal with the reality that he's dead. Everything she's been through, she's obviously got massive PTSD from everything that happened with Thanos, and who wouldn't? misunderstood as he was oh my god I, but genuinely like and i mean it's it's a classic like fractured psyche like you know as a from a men this is her mental health and she has created this world to safeguard her mental health yes but also maybe not entirely and that's where i'm wondering <laughs> about the show like i do think that wanda is in control of at least a lot of this and that she is creating this little reality this little pocket universe but I wonder how much of it is is free of outside influence. Mm. There are clearly, already, there are clearly outside forces 
watching. There are clearly outside forces at work. And I wonder if they have manipulated her into yeah. creating this, if they have fueled that mental break. Because she seemed relatively stable at the end of Endgame. And I know that was kind of the Scooby-Doo happy ending. But maybe she might not have been as stable as she seemed, but also it might be that she was relatively peaceful. Mm. And then someone or something has manipulated this into happening. There has to be a trigger, doesn't there? Something has to mm. have triggered this fracture beyond, you know, Tony's funeral. Like, it has to have been something else. So, yeah, I think absolutely the outside forces that you speak of that we will find out more about, I do think whether they've set this up in some way or whether they've accidentally triggered her, I guess we'll find out. But, yeah, I definitely think there's an external factor. Mm. I mean, I haven't seen episode three, so I can't spoil anything on that front. So <laughs> speaking from that perspective, um, I am aware of sword as a thing as mm -hmm. like another organization in the marvel comics and the people who are watching wonder and vision there are a lot of sword logos going around so i don't quite know what that means because i haven't come across those in the comics that i've read but that feels like a thing we've had shield for as long as the <laughs> mcu has been going yeah. now we have sword whatever that means i mean ben yes. you of course refer to the sentient world observation and response department of Aha, course but he doesn't doesn't he, Helen? No, because in WandaVision, if you notice, I'm not sure we've seen this yet, but it is out there on the internet, so I don't think it's a major spoiler. But the, the badge for S.W.O.R.D. appears at one point, and the badge shows not sentient world observation, but sentient weapon observation, Ooh. which suggests that they may be empowered to keep an eye on super beings. And she is and super, 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 super. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. She's potentially the most powerful character in the MCU to yeah. date. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, yeah. There's a, there's a discussion. There's a, there's a geeky discussion. <laughs> Wanda versus Carol Danvers, go. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Both I mean, <laughs> yes. But if, well, okay, enough about your sex life, Ben. But <laughs> I'm never getting that out of my head. Somebody pass me the mind bleach. <laughs> but look, I mean, Carol is super duper powerful at the punching mm. things and the blowing shit up. But and Wanda, the traveling super fast. And mm. the traveling super fast and the flying but through her the are vacuum clearly defined. Of, of space. Mm. Yeah. Whereas Wanda in House of M, for example, completely altered everything. Mm -hmm. That's n that's a bigger power. Mm. Yeah. And mm -hmm. her, her powers are so nebulous in the mm. way they're defined that she could kind no, of do anything powers, nebula, you're absolutely <laughs> right but also it's funny that she got her powers from the mind stone whereas actually all her powers seem to stem from the reality stone but hey -ho. yeah mm. that always kind of slightly also the redness mm. she's mm. using her mind to create reality <clears throat> that's does get past it that way, shall we? I, I like that we're we're still at that stage of understanding of I, I think is it uh, Age of Ultron where it's just like he's fast and she's weird. We're still just yeah, like, she's weird. <laughs> he's yeah. fast and she's weird. She's deeply weird. <laughs> she is. I've decided that there's some kind of like you know subspace connection between all the stones, which is why the Mind Stone would somehow have reality skewing powers in her case. Ooh. Star Trek mm -hmm. would absolutely approve of that theory. I know, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, and of course, let's not forget in Endgame that she absolutely put the willies up Thanos uh, right mm. at the end. And, uh, she, she would have she would have crushed his skull, something rotten, had he not 
cowardly decided to rain fire on everybody. And uh, but anyway, you know, she's incredibly, incredibly powerful. I wrote the cover feature for this and I spoke to Kevin Feige um about Wanda. And because obviously we know that Elizabeth Olsen is going to be Wanda in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And he you know, he said that, you know, there's a couple of interesting things about Wanda. One is that she has perhaps suffered more trauma and more loss than anybody in the MCU. Mm. You know, literally, you know, she's lost her brother and her lover, two different people, I should, I should very, very, <laughs> oh very gosh. quickly add. And, um, you know, she's been through an awful lot in her brief time in the MCU. But he said also she may be potentially the most powerful. And that is something that is very, very... And, and and again, as you say, James, her, her powers have been ill-defined so mm. far in the MCU. But the reality altering abilities that she has makes her a deeply, deeply dangerous, potentially dangerous weapon to keep an eye on. So my feeling on this is that someone or something has triggered some sort of psychotic break in Wanda that has created this alternate world and that it's been monitored very closely by sword. That is my feeling. As to mm. the who and to the why and to the when and the how <laughs> and the where mm. and maybe the what as well. Let's just throw it in for good measure. I'm not so sure about that. So the beekeeper bloke, let's talk about the beekeeper bloke, right? Yeah. So he has a sword. That's a sword on his back. That's a sword logo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's clearly, or he seems to be clearly, malevolent. Yeah, that was confusing. So when I saw the kind of beekeeper outfit, I thought of AIM, who are another Marvel group who tend to be bad guys. They're technology-obsessed science nerds who think that they can basically conquer the world through science. You, of course, refer, Helen, to advanced idea mechanics. <laughs> exactly. Of course, James, well done on Googling that so quickly. Um, weren't, they, weren't they introduced in Iron Man 2? Am I am I wrong about Where that? No, Justin I think, I, they've, they've definitely popped up before. Justin Hammer has affiliations mm. with them, I think. Oh, maybe back so. At, uh, all the way back in Iron Man too. The the thing about this one is, as you say, yes, the sword logo is there, and secondly, there are bees or flies or something buzzing around that figure, which is not necessarily the case with the AIM beekeeper-looking uniforms. So, I mean, I don't know. There is, a, I think, a Marvel villain called Swarm who is literally made up of bees or something, but I'm hoping they're not going that completely No, that's, that's lame. Shit. They're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it's so. just, it was Nick Cage in there. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> My the bees! Eyes. The bees! Are we not sure it bees. wasn't the wasp surrounded by oh. wasps? Oh. <laughs> Do you think Sonny Burge might be behind this? <laughs> oh, God. He, he could barely mastermind whatever the hell he was supposed to be doing in that film, let alone Thank you. something Absolutely. like this. He has a confidence wearing moccasins with no socks. That man can do anything. <laughs> Who wears moccasins with socks? And why wouldn't you call those soccasins? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I, I, I'm interested in, in B-Person, in that... <laughs> um, Oh my god, it's Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, here we go. It's the, the secret B movie uh, <laughs> sequel. sequel. Nobody knew they wanted. <laughs> and once they're given it, they're pretty sure they really didn't want it. <laughs> uh, but I wonder whether the B person, we're being shown them through Wanda's skewed perspective. So much of this show, True. especially if this is a reality that she has created, which that kind of seems to be the case, we're seeing it through her point of view. So whoever is 
breaking into this reality mm. poses some kind of threat to her sort of safety bubble of, no, I've got my lovely life with vision. So I'm wondering if this person is actually evil slash sinister or if that's just the way mm -hmm. that she perceives them. So what about the, what about the moments in which reality does seem to threaten to break through? There are some really interesting moments here because... It's not just, we don't just see scenes with Wanda. We see scenes with Vision where he goes off and he goes off and he has, you know, that meeting with the boys at the library or he mm. goes to his office. Mm. So how, <clears throat> how much of this is being controlled by Wanda? How real is this Vision of Vision? Because that's not Vision, right? This is a very, very different Vision. It's given Paul Bettany a chance to display a, a lot of different shades, a lot of different colors. Uh, Vision's dead, I'm pretty sure he's not. Yes, so what's no. happening like, here? It's a different version of Vision, but she's also a different version of her. And both mm -hmm. of them, like, he doesn't, to a certain extent, he adheres to the rules only to the extent that she does like he doesn't feel like a like a like a construct in this like so when they look at yeah. the calendar and neither of them know what it is it feels like they're both sentient creatures within the construct rather than he's part of it otherwise he would have been playing along with the narrative of the show which he wasn't he was confused like That's she was the thing. he's pressing against the constraints of yeah. the world in mm. which they're living so how is that possible unless she's constructed him you know like a version of him because bear in mind her powers are quite large Wait. Yeah, I mean, okay, so a couple of things. I think the idea of him not remembering what's on the calendar as well as her might be playing into the format, to be fair, because that is a classic sort of sitcom situation where there's something on the calendar and neither remembers what it is and they're both playing along and confusion ensues. So that isn't necessarily sort of formative. What's more damning, I think, is that bit at the end of the show, uh, just after The Beekeeper, where she says no and rewinds mm. and rewinds before Vision's concerns get to a certain point as well. Mm. And that implies more sort of control over him. But I did think earlier on when he went into the office and he's sort of pushing and trying to figure out what they actually do at the company. <laughs> That could be a comment on the fact that none of the jobs in these shows were very well defined, mm. but it could also be suggesting that there is something else at work, that someone is using her and him for some purpose, that they are doing something with their powers in mm -hmm. this kind of mm -hmm. reality. Mm -hmm. I also don't think that necessarily Vision is 100% dead, just because of what Shuri managed to do before... Yeah. He went off at the end of Infinity War. So there might be something that's been able to be, you know, retrieved or resurrected. I don't yeah. know. It could be that. Like, he could be plugged into something and they're accessing mm. his merit. Like, it's hard to say. I did enjoy the fact that he's essentially got a career in data processing and he's looking at the weenus and he's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't put those numbers, <laughs> it won't make, it much, won't of make much of a difference. <laughs> Yeah, like Helen, I loved that. I, I love the way that it's sort of questioning the nature of the reality. That that if she's created or somebody has created an artificial reality, the artificial mm. reality they have created is an artificial reality in so much as sitcom realities are artificial and they are mm. thin and they are sort of ill-defined. And the, mm. the, the sort of questions that they're butting up against re relate both to how sitcoms play out and also to the fact that we know that they're reality isn't real i yeah especially i that made me think of i'm not familiar really with old 50 sitcoms and stuff but there's that mm. um that thing that goes around of like what is what is um chandler's job in friends what does chandler actually do and you don't <laughs> yeah. know these characters <laughs> transponster <laughs> there's 
even a word. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it, it's it's just really fun in the way that it plays on on those tropes, uh, mm, but it does yeah. it in a way that is yeah. part of what the show is actually about. See, I, I want to talk as, a little, uh, as well a little bit more about some of the intrusions onto this reality. I'm fascinated to see why the reality has been sculpted in this way, who is responsible for it. I wondered if that was Wanda. I, that specific bit felt quite Wanda because, you know, we all grew up with these imported, or maybe not Ben because he's extremely young, but the rest yeah. of us grew up with these imported sitcoms being shown on TV at odd hours of the day. Like, I Dream of Jeannie was on when I was little and bewitched and things like yeah. that. So it is possible that growing up in Eastern Europe, she would get these mm. really old sitcoms and have kind of, you know, grown up on those and that would be part of her psyche. Speaking yeah. of which, I very much enjoyed the, it's a Sokovian greeting, like bringing in <laughs> elements like that was a lovely touch. I think it was yeah. Vision trying to describe the outfit saying, it's so Sokovian. So <laughs> <laughs> really made me laugh. Yeah, I watched loads of those sitcoms as well, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie, Growing Up, Mr. Ed, The Monsters, The Addams oh, Family, yeah. all that stuff. Um, I Love Lucy. Weirdly, the one thing I don't think we ever got over here, it's now available on Amazon Prime, is The Dick Van Dyke Show, on which mm. the first episode in particular seems to be very, very closely modelled. Uh, Alan Seppenwall of Rolling Stone, who's a brilliant, brilliant TV critic, said that the gag in the credit sequence where Fission phases through an armchair is a direct nod to the opening credits of The Dick Van Dyke Show, where Dick Van Dyke would trip over an ottoman um, in the <laughs> in the credits. So little things like that. Because um, I thought it was more I Love Lucy, but that's just my reference point. Yeah. Uh, I'm not so sure if it is Wanda necessarily. I wonder if it's some, cause someone or something is doing this to her. That voice that breaks through on the radio in episode two, which if I were a betting man, I would say belongs to Randall Park's Agent Wu. Uh, yeah. Last scene, of course. Uh, was he arresting Sonny Birch? I don't remember. Probably. Oh, um, trying to constrain Sonny Birch uh, and his moccasins in Ant-Man and the Wasp. That sounds like Randall Park to me. I don't know whether it is. We know he's in the show. We haven't seen him yet, but it sounds to me like mm. it is him. Mm. What would that character be doing in this situation? Well, we'll find out. See, I took from that that it was a very life on Mars type situation. You know, when mm. he's in the Ooh. coma and he's hearing people trying to talk him back to reality through the TV. Yeah. And that felt like a reference. This for me, it had calls of life on Mars and obviously Pleasantville, which it which it has yes. elements of to it yes. as well. Definitely Pleasantville as well. Yeah. I I hate to do this, but I'm with James on that. I also thought it was somebody trying to break through to her. And especially yeah. in episode two, the voice on the radio yeah. sounds like it's someone trying to appeal to her yeah. um, and get her her to get in touch with them. Yep, there's no disagreement here. I'm on the same page as you guys. Uh, but what I'm saying is that he's alerting her to the fact that someone is behind this, that it's not just her. Who's, the, the words, I've got them on screen right now. Um, who is doing this to you, Wanda? That's what he wants her to know. He's saying this. Who is doing this mm, to you, Wanda? So that's very, very interesting indeed. Maybe we'll find out. Because, you know, the, yeah, there's elements of Pleasant Phil in there. Obviously, there's elements of the Truman Show as yep, well. Definitely. So I'd like to talk about how in on it all the neighbours are. What are the neighbours? Are the neighbours constructs of Wanda? Are some of them people who are sent to keep tabs on Wanda. Mm. What is mm. Agnes? Who is Geraldine, played by the actress that we know plays Monica Rambeau in the MCU? <laughs> so what the... That's a bit annoying that, that you know, we know that reveal uh, already. But yeah. what, what, what's your take on that stuff? Who are the neighbours? I mean, are they all constructs? Are they all... Are they sword agents? What What's going on? I 
feel like they might just be part of the constructed reality or people who have been sucked into it in a way because I think especially the way like I love Catherine Hahn in this show mm. I think she does an amazing job and she's the person who seems to be most playing into that very affected sort of performance style from those sitcoms so it's either she's part of that constructed reality like maybe she's not real and she's a f- part of the fabric of that that reality which is those that sort of performance style or she's been somebody who's been drawn into the reality and that kind of performance style has been projected onto her in the same Mm. way that vision it's a much more human much looser version of vision than we've ever seen because that's how vision would operate in a sitcom um i'm kind of undecided on how real they are but um i i love what she's doing with that role at the moment yeah I do too. And I wonder, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation. Her character name is Agnes. There is a witch called Agatha who played mm-hmm. a, a pretty major role in, in Scarlet Witch's backstory. And there's been speculation that, that this is a kind of a bluff and that she's really that character, that she is a witch herself, that she's involved in some way in creating or manipulating yes. this reality. I wouldn't be surprised because yeah. Catherine Hand's fucking amazing and she could do absolutely brilliant bad guys. But equally, I, I do feel like a lot of these people might be caught up in it. I mean, there was an element of almost of, of panic or of um, breaking up in that Deborah Jo Rupp moment with the, with the choking when her husband, when Fred yeah. Melamed is choking. So, you know, I wonder if there is... That might be an element of a sort of a, a robot almost breaking down or a construct almost breaking down, but it could also be a real person who's sucked into this program and then suddenly the program breaks on them. Yeah. Or is it is it Truman Show where they're all actors essentially trying to keep up a pretense 24-7? Mm. Uh, there's, there's an element of Truman Show as well in that the thing that makes Truman for the first time questioned really the nature of its existence in that Mm. is a light falls from the sky, if you remember. Mm. And in the second episode of this, a helicopter falls from the sky. And Mm. that also brings up the really, one of the really interesting things about the show, which is the use of color. Yeah, very personal. Black and white, black and white, black and white. And then you get, we'll talk about the adverts in a second as well, but you get a flash of red Mm -hmm. in the advert and in episode one. And then towards the end, obviously you see real world. And in episode two, the flash of color you see is on that helicopter that falls from the sky, I'm guessing, and it's red and yellow. And who do we know who has those colors and who's <gasps> very important in Wanda's past as well? Yeah, that, that stood out to me. As soon as I saw, it may be a coincidence, but as soon as I saw that that helicopter was red and yellow, I was like, that just is so inherently linked to, to Stark Tech mm. um, and, and to the Iron Man suit in, in the MCU. And maybe there's some significance in that um, I'm sure at some point we'll talk about the two adverts that pop up in these mm-hmm. uh, episodes, but the first advert is for Stark Tech. It's mm-hmm. a Stark toaster. Um, so they're clearly trying to invoke Tony or, well, the the Stark legacy, Stark Industries in, in some way here. Yeah. And of course, we know that Wanda's history with Stark is not entirely positive. That mm-hmm. you know, she and her she and her brother were basically sheltering from Stark-made bombs, and that was what led to their whole crusade against the Avengers in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And then, obviously, the end of episode two. There's a whole lot of color. There is. Yeah. Yes, indeed. It, actually, and I, I love the way I love the way that happens, where color kind of sweeps through the screen. It's and it's technicolor as well, like it's properly saturated. Mm-hmm. Great uh, as it sort of moves into the next era. 
Mm. This thing looks gorgeous, doesn't it? It just it looks does, yeah. absolutely tremendous. I mean, the you know Matt Shackman who directed all nine episodes, and that's a different that's a that's a different approach, of course, from the the Mandalorian and the Star Wars show one show that we've had so far, mm. where you know it's maybe mostly one writer, different directors, and yeah. this is one showrunner, Jack Schaefer, and one director. And so you get that real uniformity as well. And obviously he's a sitcom veteran as well. But some of the, there's a real kind of wonderful adherence to the conceit and the format, which may throw some people off. Maybe we'll talk about that in, in a second in terms of the jokes of of these 50s and 60s sitcoms as well. But I, I do also want to talk about these ads. What do you make of the ads? The first one for the, the Stark, the Toast mm. Mate. Uh, the Stark Toastmate, both of which have the same actors in them, by the way. I don't know mm. if you noticed that. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is for the Strucker Watch. And Strucker, of course, is Baron Strucker, uh, played by Thomas Kretschmann. And he is also linked to darkness in Wanda, mm. Wanda's past. And I guess by by definition, Vision's past. And it's got Hydra on it as well, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. It does have Hydra on it. Hell Hydra. Mm. No. No. <laughs> sorry, what? Um, I meant. <laughs> sorry, I meant. I meant fail Hydra. Fuck those there guys. You Losers. There you go. <laughs> yeah, they're interesting. Went out. I, I'm hopeful that that's going to lead to something that is relevant in the text of the show. Like, I think it's a really fun formal thing for these first couple mm-hmm. of episodes. To it, it feels fun and, and playful. Remind but me, of Robocop. You, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, Nukem and all that sort of stuff. Those, those great adverts. I, I think it would feel really satisfying, though, if it tied into the plot more specifically in, in a certain way. I thought it was significant that the toaster um, looks like it has a face. It is yeah. a machine with a face. Mm-hmm. And that's the first use of colour, isn't it, that we see? Mm-hmm. The flashing yeah. red light on the toaster? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's going to tie in in some fashion to the plot. I think those people are probably going to crop up in some fashion, that they're going to be involved in some way in, in whatever the fuck is going on. And I also think it's interesting that, you know, from what we know about Wanda's past, that both of these adverts so far are associated with trauma in her past. So that childhood bomb and, of course, the torment and torture that struck mm-hmm. her, put her and her brother through to give them these powers. So I wonder if there's an element there of, of working out some of her darkest impulses through advertising. So advertising is bad? <laughs> hey, is capitalism not great, you guys? This is all going to build up to an advert hosted by Thanos for Golden Gloves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oven do gloves. You burn, yeah, do you burn your hand taking your, your stew out of the oven? Use Golden Infinity Oven Gloves. <laughs> Let's talk about WandaVision. Let's talk about the conceit of the show, the 50s and 60s sitcom. Jimbo, as someone who hates humour... <laughs> Uh, you're probably best at this one out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but um, it struck me watching the first episode in particular. The jokes are almost deliberately tailored for that fifties fifties kind of sitcom format, yeah. that fifties sitcom audience. I wonder how that's going to play with a modern audience, for example. Clearly, the because the first episode was filmed in front of a live studio audience, they they bust people in, showed them the you know performed in front of them over the course of two nights, yeah. then presumably neuralized the fuck out of them. And they ate them to death. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, even now they can't tell people that they were there. <laughs> I love that they move to canned laughter, though, in the second one, again, to yes. make it, it feels authentic. Yes. Mm. But in the first one, they've clearly been told, as well, the audience, to act like this is 
episode 75 of a long-running sitcom and you love these characters and so whenever they something happens you got to cheer and you know act raucously but do you think they were funny enough the first two episodes what, what did you what did you what did you think on the on the humor side of the of things I mean I laughed but then I do laugh at things unlike James so I know now you why know. you laugh but it is something I could never do <laughs> <laughs> I mean I but I thought they were just pitch perfect for the format and and I thought that was really clever I mean you know jokes like her breaking the plate on his head were pretty lame and pretty intentionally lame yeah but, you know, stuff like the misunderstood phone call about the dinner party was actually nicely played. And the stuff when, with him in the office talking to his workmates, I thought, was, was better pitched as well. So I thought those were legitimately funny within that format. You know, obviously it's not as fast or as quick or as clever as we would expect our jokes to be now, but it is still funny. It's still funny to Mrs. Brown's boys. Oh, oh Christ, well, I mean, we are funnier than I Mrs. Mean... Brown's boys. I mean, come on. <laughs> there, are, there are wars that are funnier than Mrs. Brown's boys. <laughs> this is entirely true. I'm really glad that they're just doing uh, US sitcoms so we don't get the Mrs. Brown's yeah, boys. That'll episode. be the, the, the season finale. One Division, the TV show. Mrs. Wonder's boys. I actually want that to be the, the finale now. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. I mean, I think with the sitcom jokes, obviously a lot of them are intentionally cheesy, but I think also there is an extra layer there in that a lot of the jokes are playing to us, the audience, knowing mm-hmm. that who these characters are, that they are a robot and a witch and that this isn't real. So things like those jokes where, where uh, Wanda's saying, oh, well, the, the boxes don't move themselves when we know we that's a joke to us <laughs> because yeah. we know she will have moved the boxes. So. I think they play really nicely on different la- layers of comedy. They have stuff that is just pure sitcom, but they also have jokes that play now to us, but within the form of sitcom jokes, but they're not playing. Mm-hmm. If that was a straight sitcom, it wouldn't mean anything. It only means something to us knowing who these characters are and the reality that they come from. So mm-hmm. I I don't think I went into this expecting it to be a comedy. I expected it to be a TV show playing on sitcom tropes. And it gave me that with a few actual laughs in there as well. So I didn't feel shortchanged. And it gave us the joy. It gave us the joy of drunk vision. Oh, God. Also, I love that <laughs> drunk vision sounds like Rick Mail. Like, it's yes. Benny just does an incredible job with that. Like, his whole yeah. demeanor, his voice, everything about him changes. I had so much fun with that. So Paul much Bettany fun. is just doing the best work in this show. Like he, he has always been great at Vision because he took a character who is essentially a blank robot and made him feel kind of human. He gave him a depth. He has some really, really lovely scenes throughout the MCU. But I think in this show already, he gets to do so much more and he gets to play so many just little tweaked incarnations of this character. Like I said before, he feels so much more loose. He feels playful and... You can just feel Bethany really relishing the chance to play all these different shades of this character through this prism of sitcoms with these constructed realities. And you can feel him, especially in the first episode where they filmed it with the live audience, you can feel him playing to the audience a bit in a way which is just really, really lovely. Um, That you've never seen any characters in the MCU do this before, obviously, but I think the characters that benefit so well from it are characters like Vision, who has a lot of potential but is sort of stuck in one mode in the MCU films. And he gets to break out of that here while also staying true to who Vision is. Yeah. 
I, I think he's so good in this. I mean, I, I think both of their performances so far are just fantastic. Just, um, you know, playing so much into the tropes and yet still keeping some kind of tiny core of, you know, the character we know and love. I think it's really, really clever. Mm. I think they're both great. I think they're absolutely mm-hmm. terrific. And they have such a lovely chemistry together. And uh, Elizabeth Olsen is so charming in this as Wanda. You know, because it's a completely different manner of performance. You know, you have to play it up a little bit. You have to exaggerate a little bit more for for comedic effect. But they're so lovely together. That scene in the uh, second episode when they're practicing in front of the the magician's cabinet. (laughs) It's just there's just such a, a lovely ease to them, which is great. And I said this in the regular podcast, but. You know, I don't know. They didn't have a lot of screen time. They they, they yeah. came into the MCU quite late in Age of Ultron. Uh, then Civil War, they're they're kind of there's a there's a lot more of her in Civil War than I guess than there is of him. But you know, there's there's a little bit of you know a feeling that there's a bit of chemistry. You know, their 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 romance in the MCU has been very very fast tracked. So at the end mm. of Age of Ultron, when he rescues her. They have that little look, that little acknowledgement, like, "Ooh, maybe I fancy you." Well, may- I don't have a penis. I don't know how this is going to work, but uh, well, neither of us has a penis, really. Uh, but it's okay. I can grow one. You can grow a penis. Oh my god, you are my density. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, it's Stark Tech. You have to imagine Tony Stark was working oh on god. stuff like that. Uh, uh, no, technically, yeah. it technically wasn't not. Stark Tech. It's not. No, no. it's Helen Cho. Yeah. Ah, of yeah. course. Ellen Joe built the body, Tony Stark and uh, Bruce Banner built the brain. Ultron provided a little bit of something as well, and there's a little bit of the obviously the the mindstone in there as well. But there's all sorts of things swirling around. But anyway, the point is he can grow his own cock. That's impressive. Anyway, then they go to Civil War and they're making, you know, they're making paprikash together and there's a little bit of flirting and he's got his sweater from the CNA and you know, it's it's all good. And then by the time we see them again in Infinity War, they're full on, you know, boning buddies. And they're off in Edinburgh, you know, doing their, their porking around the world uh, mega tour. Mm. Buying kebabs. And then, and then he carks Deep it. Fried. And we barely get to know them as a couple. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Ben, I missed that. <laughs> yes, she, she, someone she, has deep fried so, his kebab. So. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Oh god. Oh god. So, but then what I'm saying is at the end of Infinity War, whenever Thanos comes for him and he turns to her and says, I don't feel anything, I just feel you. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. And they've had about six minutes of screen time in the entire MCU, but it still is really, really impactful. And now they're finally getting the screen time. It on. <laughs> yes, they're getting Sorry. it on. Sorry, the screen time. Vision's yes. got the fucking are, horn. Are we going to talk about on. horny vision now? <laughs> I mean, oh, we God. should talk about horny vision. But their, their, their relationship in this is so lovely and it needs to be because this is basically, if it is a psychotic break in some way, for Wanda, if she has completely um, broken down over the loss of vision, we need to feel that here. We need to yeah. feel the loss of that. You know, they'd never had kids. They never got married. You know, we need to feel those moments to have some real impact. And I think there's, there's a really, really good start in these uh, these first two episodes. I, yeah. I'm feeling that loss at the moment because I, even within two episodes, have got sucked into their dynamic. I It's so lovely seeing them play off each other. Mm. And it's horrible, those moments that it kicks in. 
that you remember that it's not real because obviously that's painful for Wanda, but it's going to become increasingly painful for us, the audience, remembering that, yeah, this isn't real. This can't happen. They, this is going to end and it's not going to end well. And it's, it's, yeah, it's already a kind of heartbreaking feeling that. Maybe it'll be fine. Maybe they'll live happily ever after. Maybe there was enough of him to salvage and everything's going to be okay and they're going to live on a farm with <laughs> found the dick. You know, Steve and Peggy. <laughs> Look, do you remember when I said that Steve was going to survive the Avengers pair of films and go and live on a farm with Peggy? And I was pretty much yeah. right, apart from the farm. I'm just saying, <laughs> maybe some optimism is not misplaced. Okay, yeah. Maybe maybe Vision's stored in a hard drive somewhere, like that bloke who lost all that Bitcoin in Newport. Exactly. Yes. Just one last thing on Wanda and Vision together. I mean, I think that came across really, really well at the uh, the magic show, where yes. drunk Vision is obviously, you know, using his powers left, right and centre, and she's frantically trying to cover it up in, in really, really clever ways. Mm, that's lovely. Um, Mm. It's really, really nicely done. Uh, and even when he says, flourish, and she goes, you're supposed, you're supposed to do it, dear, and not say it. I also <laughs> like really the fact cute. that we see uh, Emma Caulfield, who's, uh, of course, Anya from Buffy, yes. as, uh, as Dottie, the, the queen bee of their sort of neighbourhood area, which is quite fun. And also that's, we've talked about the use of colour, but that moment where she cuts her hand, mm. which mm. ties in with the radio moment, which is again a slight sort of fracturing of the bounds of her reality. That's quite a nice, again, quite sinister moment. Maybe yeah. Wanda was a big fan of Buffy. They got the, re, they got the, the, they aired it in Sokovia and she was as, set, as upset as everyone else was with what happened to Anya in the Buffy season finale. And that's Absolutely why right. she's I been mean, sucked into this reality. If you're inviting a vengeance demon into your, uh, into your fantasy, I'm saying you've got all sorts of problems going on. She's I mean, weird. she does. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. Sure. So Dottie is Anyanka, the vengeance demon. Good. Oh, yeah. But also, I mean, the fact that she bleeds, does that imply that she is a real person bleeds, and not a construct? We could kill her. Exactly. Sorry. Is that <laughs> oh, a spoiler for episode needs, three? <laughs> yeah, Dutch turns up and guns are down. Um, yeah, uh, that scene was really unsettling. And that, so do you think she's real? Because if she was mm. a, a human type person, she'd be like, ow. I wonder whether the boundaries of what isn't isn't real is quite flexible. Like I think Catherine mm. Hahn in the first episode feels very much like a construct, but I'm starting to wonder whether she is or is not. But I do wonder whether she's a construct, but when real people enter this world, maybe they take on the guise of characters within the narrative. So yeah. maybe they can sometimes be real and sometimes not. See, that's interesting, Jibba, because whenever Wanda finds the helicopter, right, mm. Agnes shows up almost immediately to distract mm. her. And I wonder if that means she's real and she's being sent in going, oh, Wanda's very, very close to to finding out that this is real and we can't have that happen because then she might unleash yeah. her powers and destroy Ed, Ed Harris has Blackpool. sent her in to distract her. Yeah, <laughs> he absolutely has. But, but then on the other hand, in that first appearance, in the first episode, she turns up and asks a lot of questions that Wanda can't answer. So, you know, if she was purely manipulative, then maybe she wouldn't be kind of pushing Wanda in that respect. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a good point. I was also fascinated by the fact that she introduces herself as your neighbour to the right, my right. And I was a bit like, <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> I mean, maybe if they're on a cul-de-sac, then it, that would make... But, maybe it's her mm. right facing the house as opposed to the right of the person in the house facing maybe out of the house. Maybe she means politically. Yeah, maybe she means, yes, we are <laughs> <your> Republican neighbours. <laughs> yes. 
we alluded to this on the regular podcast and also at the beginning, but I like the fact that the stakes of the show are simply, I mean, almost literally the stakes of the show. The high stakes of episode one is that Wanda needs to make dinner. The high stakes of episode two <laughs> is a magic act. So if mm. there's something obviously bigger going on behind here. And I imagine the, the high stakes of episode nine may be, you know, mankind's fate or whatever. But I quite like it at the moment that it's just about someone trying not to burn steak, Diane. Also, the I was going to say the stakes of episode one are tenderized by <laughs> Vision <laughs> holding a meat tenderizer like Mjolnir. That was a little gag that made me laugh. And the way, just oh, the way he holds that. that. I mean, he doesn't, it, it's just the vis- the image of him holding that obviously echoes him holding yeah. Mjolnir, which I yeah. really liked. That, that whole setup for episode one, it's probably a classic sitcom thing. Like I said, I didn't grow up on those, but for me, it was it was steamed hams from The Simpsons. It was the steamed hams <laughs> segment uh, with Superintendent Chalmers and uh, Seymour Skinner trying to make dinner. <laughs> that's that's what came to my mind for, for that. Mm. Uh, what is steak, Diane? I mean, that seemed like an awful lot mushroom, of courses. Is it? Is it? Oh, that's why I have never had Ooh. it. Okay, carry on. I think it's mushroom sauce. Someone will correct me on that, I'm sure, but I'm pretty sure it's mushroom sauce. Okay. I like the fact that in episode two, whenever Wanda and Agnes are outside, in maybe a little nod to the conventions at the time, their dialogue has clearly been looped. Mm. It's just a little thing. I quite like that. Uh, And during that little meeting with uh, Anya from Buffy in the... uh, in the gazebo, they're saying, uh, someone says, the devil's in the details, Bev. In fact, Dottie says that. And then, interestingly, Agnes mm. goes, that's not the only place he is. And I wonder if there's yeah. lots of lines here that might have double meaning when we look back at them. What, yeah. uh, Vision, yeah. for example, when he goes, flourish, he says before that, he goes, I'm an illusion, flourish. And I wonder if that <laughs> might be something where we go back and go, he was an illusion all this time. Yeah. The, the Agnes line definitely stuck out to me because if she is related to or some version of Agatha, then, you know, which is the devil, there might be a whole thing there. So that does seem like it might be a double meaning. But of course, she's, a you know, on the face of it, referring to Dottie, who seems to be awful. <laughs> well, she's a vengeance demon, so, you know, well, exactly, kind of yeah. comes with a profession. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did enjoy the little details again, like um, uh, Wanda kind of trying to s- copy Dottie's moves to avoid offending her further. So she literally is stirring her drink the same way and putting in the same number of ice cubes, which I thought was a really nice little bit of business. Lovely bit of business. Lovely, lovely. bit. Lovely, lovely bit of business. Right, should we have some uh, questions from listeners? Let's. All right, here's one from at Gray on Twitter, G-R-A-Y, Daniel Benneworth Gray, who has written for Empire, full disclosure. Pod question, given Wanda's comic heritage and impending role in Doctor Strange's multiverse bonanza or Strange Doctor in the Multiverse of Madness, might this become Disney's first backdoor introduction steady of X-Men? No. I mean, it seems unlikely. You want to take a backdoor lovers? I don't think they're going to backdoor the X-Men. I think when the X-Men are introduced, it will be well and truly through the front door with fanfare and a red carpet. And possibly the think- window. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't... Uh, no, I don't think they're going to backdoor X-Men. I think that's a proper event. And I don't think... Also, I don't think they do it on the small screen. I, I feel like when they introduce the X-Men, that will be in a movie. I, I think they could do something that opens up a way that you could see the X-Men being introduced, but I don't think they'll actually start to introduce anyone mutant 
through well, this kind of show. That would tie in nicely to House of M, wouldn't it? You know, mm-hmm. if the creation of mutants was her having a tizzy and altering the fabric of reality, then you know that you you perhaps that and that may be me completely contradicting what I just said. No, this is absolutely not a <laughs> yes. This could absolutely be. <laughs> I, I um, have maybe. I have long said, in fairness, that uh, I think that Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness will be the way that the Fantastic Four introduced, and it'll be the way that Blade is introduced, and it may well be the way that the X Men are introduced as well. Mm. Um, now they've given up on that kind of inhuman business. <laughs> We're not. We 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 breathe in the Terrigan mists. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone on that production was breathing in the Terrigan mists. Yes, because Wanda's meant to be a mutant <laughs> in the in the comics. Yes, she is, yes, she's a mutant. Uh, and in fact, Helen, you said something earlier on about you know Wanda and uh, and her powers and the fact that Agatha is a witch in the comic books, mm. and Wanda's powers are hex powers. You know, you know, hex h e x, not x powers. She hasn't lost her powers. She's still got them. But they're hex powers, and she's witchy in the comic books, but she's not here. In fact, mm. I don't think she's ever been called Scarlet Witch on screen no. in the MCU. Uh, no. So that, there's, this is a very, very different version of this character. All right, here's another question from at Gary underscore Bainbridge, who is a wonderful follow on Twitter. Uh, I've never been more disturbed by noticing a flashing red LED. Also, I'm surprised there's been so little reference to Pleasant Phil. I'm delighted to be reminded of Pleasantville, to be honest, and I kind of want to go back and watch it now this weekend because it's bloody great. If you haven't seen Pleasantville, do check it out. But yeah, I think, you know, you have to be a little bit restrained if you're doing something similar. And I think it's a a logical thing to do if you have this, you know, artificially constructed black and white world to introduce colour into it is is a classic trick. It goes all the way back to The Wizard of Oz. So, you know, absolutely, I can see why they do it, but also absolutely, I can see why they didn't want to overdo it and go kind of full Pleasantville on it. Do you think this is too much of a slow burn that we're two episodes in, by next week we'll be three episodes in, and, you know, we st- we're still very much in the mystery of this show? No. They're not long episodes, but, I mean, I they dropped two the first day, and I kind of see why they did that. There's a part of me that genuinely thinks they probably should have dropped the first three on the first day, because I mm-hmm. don't think it's until episode three that you start to realise that they're the extent of the bigger picture. And I do, I mean, look, maybe I'm not giving you know, people enough credit. But I do wonder whether there's a demographic of people, possibly younger viewers, who enjoy the MCU, who, you know, want to watch MCU content on the small screen, are watching this and going, I don't know what is happening. Make it stop. Because (laughs) the first episode is a 50s sitcom. Like, broadly speaking, that is the totality of what it is. Yes, there's undercurrents, there's more going on there, but that's what it is. You think, okay, fine. You know, it finished and you're like, huh, other than the title sequence at the end, and I like that you get the main titles at the very end so as not to break Mm. the illusion. And you think, okay, and then you go into episode two and it's broadly speaking the same. And so at the end of episode two, you are still no wiser as to what this show is. And that requires a level of, you know, patience and buy-in to the whole concept that they're leaning into. Mm. Maybe, maybe viewers nowadays in the world of peak TV are much more sophisticated than I give them credit for. But I do wonder whether it might lose some people. I I think as well, each episode ends with something to keep you hanging on for next week. I think it's very intentional Mm -hmm. that episode one ends with, there is, there is more to this. Look, Mm. there's, there's color. I I love the way the aspect ratio changes, by the way, when it zooms from one screen to the other. 
and showing you the sh- the sword logo and showing you something in color going like there is something bigger here and even by the end of episode two even though you've had another very sitcom episode you've had the change to color it's something mm. of when you come back next week when this next one drops we're into a new era you're going to learn more things are going to be a bit switched up for next time so mm. i think there is enough to keep people who are more casual about this stuff hanging on and i think there's already enough of a sense of mystery that you know there is something more going on yeah um, mm-hmm. that as much as we'd all love to sort of tear through the episodes that said i'm looking forward to watching this weekly i've, I've kind of loved that when we've done the mando stuff yeah. that like yeah. you have a week mm-hmm. to sort of stew on it i think it'll be interesting obviously these are shorter episodes the first one's about 22 minutes plus credits um i wonder if that's gonna long. feel and the credits yeah. are long so that bumps yeah. it up to about 25 but I wonder if it's going to maybe feel, I wonder if the episode length will go up as it goes on. I wonder if they'll yeah. feel a bit slight getting one a week. They've suggested that it will, yeah. One thing I have been intrigued by is that the two episodes we've seen so far do, you know, they are a sitcom era per episode. And Feige told mm. me, Feige told me exclusively in hmm. the Pages of Empire magazine that that is not going to be the case throughout the the rest of the series. Mm. And certainly in the trailer, the first trailer they released for this, we were seeing plenty of real world MCU vision, if you will, um, stuff happening. There's uh, Mm. that scene where vision has a scene with uh, Agnes, who's dressed as a witch, which I think is happens on Halloween. And she says, but you're dead to him. So that's in the trailer. So stuff like that. But we also know that it's going to be, there's going to be a 70s episode, an 80s episode, a 90s episode, an office style episode with talking heads mm. and documentary style, which which should be a lot of fun. And how those are going to fit in, I don't know. Is it, you know, is Wanda resetting the world every time she gets sense that something's not right? Is someone resetting the world for her? All these questions, I hope, are going to be answered. If they're not, I'm going to be fucking furious. <laughs> anyway, here's a question that we can't answer. <laughs> Speaking of things that will make people furious, at Sid Lichtenstein, what an incredible name. Do you think there is a significance to the commercials? We've talked about those i know but uh sid goes on to say one theory is that they could represent wanda's traumas and there's certainly something in that i would say stark sokovia and we'll see what happens in the uh in the weeks to come yeah i said that okay brilliant (laughs) (laughs) It, it adds to this idea that she is constructing a reality in a way that she can start to come to terms with these things or process these things so it maybe lends credence to the idea that the whole universe including the ad breaks are things that maybe she has created that it's coming from her i don't know about the ad break that flashing red light feels to me a little hypnotic it feels to me like maybe it was something that was putting her back under. The second advert is a watch commercial that finishes with the ticking of a watch, which is something that hip, hip, hypnoticians. What's the fucking word? Oh, I love a hypnotician. <laughs> What's the word? Hypnotist. Hypnotist. <laughs> Anyway, yes, hypnotician should be the actual word for these guys, right? So let's now, it is officially hypnotician. Hypnoticians famously use watches when they want to put people under. Just ask uh, Darren Brown. Uh-huh. Here's another question from at Tim from Wales. Uh, he simply says, wasn't it really bloody good to have the MCU back? Yes. God, yes. Easiest, easiest question to answer so far. Mm. Yes, it was so good. It's been far too long. Spider-Man Far From Home was so long ago. 
It's been so long. Look, I know you cannot, once you've had Thanos, you can't really top that. But still, <laughs> oh my God. I do feel like it's been too long. What's our exposure been to the MCU recently? I'll be honest, I haven't I mean. really watched. I haven't watched a lot, especially since Chadwick Boseman died. I haven't gone back and I, I've been really, really busy. I think in, I watched the whole thing last year. <laughs> did you? You watched I'm, all 23? I'm pretty sure I did, yeah. Um, I watched Endgame over Christmas because, you know, why not? And yeah. uh, I've been dabbling back into Agent Carter just because, like, there it is on Disney. And I'm like, yeah, why not? Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I knew that. Of That's course good. you did. Yeah. <laughs> I Excellent. even watched Inhumans when Disney oh, Plus no, started no, last you year. Got, you got desperate, no, didn't no. you? Oh, but no. Do you know what? It was really interesting because I feel like if it had come out in the 90s, we would have all quite liked it. But it's just really behind the times, like deeply, weirdly behind the times. Yeah. And shit. Well, I mean, not brilliant. You don't need to be a hypnotician to see that it's shit. <laughs> but yeah, and uh, Tim from Wales also says that this feels like the MCU. And it does weirdly feel like the MCU, even though it feels like I love Lucy or I love Dick or whatever that thing is. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, you know it, it, because it's Wanda, because it's Vision, that, uh, you know, the, I think this is how they can lean so far into these conceits. Because it's Wanda, mm. because it's Vision, uh, which I really, really love. Cantonesco says, who's the voice on the radio? Sounds like Agent Wu to me, which is Randall Park. Uh, would the, but would the FBI be observing Wanda? And if not, is he working for S.W.O.R.D.? And is this an experiment gone wrong or a response team? I suspect it's a containment team. So knowing that Randall Park is going to be in this show at some point, it made sense when you said that. I have to say, I'm going to say this mm. just in case it turns out to be true and then I look like a genius. <laughs> to me, it sounded like Favs. I have no idea why Happy would be trying to contact Wanda, but to me, it sounded like John Favreau. That, well, as that's, himself, as Happy. Oh, okay, that makes much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why Sharon of the Mandalorian talking to Wanda. <laughs> it's a crossover. <laughs> Who's doing this to you, Wanda? It's Grogu. Grogu's going to the dark side. Who's doing finally. this to you? Do you want to do a Star Wars show? <laughs> would you like to do a Star Wars? Also, please come on my chef show. I have brisket. Uh, oh my god, that brisket. I think it's someone wrote in saying that they thought it was Mark Ruffalo, but it's not Mark Ruffalo. It didn't sound like Ruffalo to me. I no. yeah, it, it would make sense for it to be to be Randall Park, but to me that sounded like John Favreau, so I'm wondering if it's happy. Alright, here's a question that is specifically designed to send Ben into some sort of existential torment. <gasps> it's from at Mark is very cool, and it is very simply who would win in a fight? Vision? Or Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. <laughs> Vision, Vision has such humanity. Vision would fall in love with, with Grogu within half a second, like the rest of us. Grogu <laughs> has the benefit of not being dead. So, Also, I do kind of wonder, Grogu wonder? has a habit of just reaching out and grabbing things, and I wonder if he'd just pull the Mind Stone straight out of he Vision's just head. He just pulled the Mind Stone out of Vision's head. Thanos could do it because he was super powerful. So yeah, is Grogu. No. He's got the Force. Okay, a couple of things here. You say that Grogu isn't dead, but that was in a galaxy long, long ago oh, and true. far, far away. That is so true. Grogu yeah. probably okay. is dead. Nope, nope, nope. No, I'm sorry. Hard note from Ben. Now I'm going to have to construct my own reality that's me and Grogu living in space. <laughs> Secondly, you know, while... Okay, I can see Grogu going for Vision before I see Vision going for Grogu. I think that's fair. Vision would probably care about him because he is a good person. And Grogu maybe 
isn't a great person, but equally he is quite capable of defending himself. So, you know, you saw what he did to Rhodey. Who, Grogu? No. Well, I mean, maybe, but Vision. Vision. Oh, right. Okay. I got confused. Yeah. Grogu is also capable of defending himself to an extent, but not to someone who can put his hand into your chest, close his fist around your heart and make it solid and then just crush your heart like a grape, which is what he would do. And you, and let's be honest, Ben, Grogu's heart is probably the size of a grape. I just, oh. I, you couldn't do that. Nobody could look into those tiny eyes or very big eyes on a tiny head and commit harm to it unless you're as evil as Moff Gideon. And Vision isn't. All Vision needs to do is give in to the part of himself. There's a little bit of Ultron in there somewhere. And he would absolutely snap Grogu's heart in two. Oh my god, okay, you are this, a monster. This, this podcast is getting very, very dark indeed. <laughs> Alright, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> the, real answer, the real answer, of course, is the winner would be Wanda. <laughs> uh, last question. Isn't really a question, but it comes from at Martha Persdat1, who simply says, you know, weird and wacky, leads who are clearly having fun, Lizzie Olsen's change of voice which is a good point. You know, she's just completely dropped any Eastern European, but that's that. Mm-hmm. I think that that happens. You know, the, you know, a lot of Eastern European people look at Maria Sharapova for goodness sake. You know, she's got a very American accent. Uh, but um, Martha says, "I have immediately started watching Age of Ultron, and I wonder if this series might." I don't think Age of Ultron needs to be re- rehabilitated. I love no, that film. It's great. But do you think that might, in, in the larger perception of the MCU, a lot of people frown upon it? I saw Helen do a little face when I mentioned its mere name, for goodness sake. There are no space bluesies in it, Helen, as far as I'm aware. But so mm-hmm. uh, or, or a Sunny Birch. So why are you so against it? <laughs> No, I, I didn't. I was actually genuinely making a face at something else. I don't hate okay. Age of Ultron. Um, I, as you know, I have some issues with it, as I think we all do. But, uh, you know, over time, I've come to like it more than I did on a first viewing. And it's so important because it's where we first met these characters. I know that, you know, Wanda was briefly in at the end of Winter Soldier, but this is where we first met them. Yeah, I really like Age of Ultron. I remember being so surprised at how many people didn't seem to like it. Um, And I do think um, it maybe plays even better than it did do before because it hints very clearly at stuff that plays well into Phase 3. It it hints right towards Endgame, basically, with Cap's broken shield. And and that was all in uh, the Thor vision sequence, which Mm -hmm. is... Which at the time, especially for people who didn't know any comics-y stuff, was just like, what? the hell is this weird diversion? And now it makes more sense within the the larger narrative. Um, I think that that film does have some issues. Like for me, mm. it's the, the Ultron church monologue is when it starts to drop off a bit. But um, I think it's, it's so much fun. It's mm-hmm. like a really, really great team up movie and it's the full gang in full swing. And I, I don't think it's the best Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch stuff. I was, well, obviously Quicksilver, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was the only Quicksilver stuff. Um, I, I think they've done more interesting things with Scarlet Witch in the time since, but I similarly felt that pull to go back and watch Age of Ultron, possibly because I think maybe at the end of episode two of WandaVision, Disney Plus comes up and says, remember Age of Ultron? Um, And I thought, ooh, (laughs) it's been a while. I'll go back to Age of Ultron. But yeah, I really like that film. It makes me happy to see people maybe coming around on it a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Damn straight. Damn straight. It's got so much great stuff in there. It's got Vision lifting Mjolnir, which Mm. sets up Mm. Steve lifting Mjolnir later on. I love that whole party Mm. sequence, actually. 
Yeah. Oh, the party sequence is tremendous. And the, the scene that was going around on Twitter the other day, which I do, do think is genuinely amazing, which is the, the final incarnation of Ultron uh, and Vision in the forest that ends yes. with uh, yeah. Vision saying, after all, I was born yesterday, which That's is just gorgeous. super sweet. Which does raise concerns about the age difference between him and Wanda in this. <laughs> if she's, what, late 20s? He's mm-hmm. three? Yes. Yes, I mean, it's very troubling. As someone who has talked about, you know, having these older stars appear with much younger people, for example, say Elizabeth Olsen, who's about 30, appearing with, Mm. say, I don't know, Paul Bettany, who's 48, you know, that kind of age gap (laughs) and the kind of age gap here. You had planned that age. You had looked that up. (laughs) And the kind of age gap here between, you know, Wanda and Vision is is very troubling. I think we should be aiming for something closer to parody. I I fully agree. I fully agree with that. <laughs> I'm going to say one last quick theory. One last quick theory. I'm going to I'm going to say it here. I'm going to say it in episode one. So if I'm wrong, you can laugh at me. And if I'm right, then I will rejoice in my righteousness and brilliance. I I think Quicksilver is going to be very important in this somehow. I think you know the fact that Wanda has a, a dead mm-hmm. brother is going to be very important in this. There are rumors, rumors that Evan Peters has been cast in this show. No. No. I Aaron Taylor Johnson, yes. Evan Peters, I no. Think he's going to be the Fox X-Men Quicksilver who comes back into this dimension. What? Oh, I hope that's... That, that, that please, no, just okay, ne- let's like, never speak I mean, of that again. I mean, okay, just like... <sighs> I have a few comments. Number one... <laughs> number one, No. Okay. okay. Number Good. two, yep. if I were going to bring any piece of casting from the Fox mm-hmm. X-Men films <laughs> into <laughs> the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he would be about number 35 on my list and would yeah. not appear in the number one spot of the person I import. Yeah. Number three, the mm-hmm. timeline would make less than no sense and would mess with my head even worse than that title card at the beginning of Spider-Man Homecoming. Number four, just no. Like, yeah. he was not a twin. Okay. He wasn't. Mm. He didn't have that relationship. He had mm-hmm. a sister that we vaguely heard talking someplace in the background, but there was no sense that he was part of a matched pair. And I just, no, in conclusion. I would, however, wholly support Aaron Taylor Johnson appearing in this show. Yes, also. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. All right. Particularly okay. if he was in tenant mode as that weirdly gruff dude. That would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Uh very, very quick. Vision's clothes. Amazing. I want them. Where do I get them? I want I want his sweaters. I want his cardigans. I want everything. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Agreed. Just, yeah. Debenhams? No. BHS? Can I, <laughs> can I go to those places? John Phillips. Uh, London. John Phillips. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nice cardigan. John Phillips. <laughs> London. <laughs> Tony Stark buys his there uh, and that is it I think that is it for episode one and ep- one and episode two of our WandaVision spoiler special we will be back every week every Monday discussing the previous Friday's episode uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun let's see which predictions are right which predictions are wrong I think in hindsight I'm wrong about the Quicksilver thing but I just want to say <laughs> it and see uh, you know when when Helen interrogated it in that way, I began to see the flaws <laughs> in my theory. But anyway, 
do join us again uh, next week for more exciting adventures of Wanda and Vision in full-on Hornorama. But until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye. From Beatnik Ben, he's wearing a turtleneck. Specifically, did you specifically wear a turtleneck for this? Um, <laughs> potentially. I mean, this is basically all I wear at the moment. It's the warmest thing I own, and uh, my house is cold. So I've been wearing it a lot anyway. But when they made that Beatnik polo neck, no, turtleneck gag, I had to do it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. It is uh, also goodbye from It's a Wonderful Life. James Goodbye, Dyer. Christopher. Goodbye, James Dyer. It is goodbye from I Dream of Stevie. You can't let Steve Rogers go, can you? <laughs> Talk about trauma just... and grief and fading on reality. <laughs> Helen I was O'Hara. really struggling to come up with a pun, but goodbye. 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 We've got seven more goes of this. You'll get better at the puns. Uh, it's goodbye from me. I've barely tried either. 2021 vision. Uh, but it is goodbye from me. I'm off to take out the papers in the trash or I don't get no spending cash. If I don't scrub the kitchen floor... I ain't gonna rock and roll no more. Yakety yak. Don't talk back. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>